Three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode 125. What's hey. good? Josh Dobe. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> super, super busy the last couple of weeks, but we uh, we got that really good podcast in with Anish. 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 Yeah, that was really good. I had a really good time that editing. That was a solid too. one. You yeah. know, we had a couple people commenting on that one, just, you know, there's a difference sometimes when you when you have conversations with like newer or or, or trainers that are kind of getting started with things, mm-hmm. right? Versus people that are grounded in what they're doing. They're very very knowledgeable, right? Yep. They have a lot of information to offer to the masses, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and are just kind of on like another level, right? Yeah. With their with their kind of experience and stuff like that. And that was one of those conversations that I fucking love those ones when, when we could just converse and it's like we're just like brainstorming off of each other and just like mm-hmm. really getting into like different nuances of certain conversations that I feel like otherwise we wouldn't be talking about. You yeah. know? I love talking to people that just like kind of challenge the norm a little bit with stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and really, really cool. Yeah, if you're listening to this, make sure you go back and watch it because I, I feel like it got buried just a little bit because we kind of missed a week, and so I, the algorithm kind of threw us out for a second. Yeah. So make sure you know we're back on the game. So yeah, go back and watch that one because it was really, really good. Like, like I, I was telling him, like I wanted <laughs> to say things, but at the same time, I was just like enthralled in the conversation that was happening. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know what? I, there, there, I mean, there was just so many like interesting parts of the conversation, but like. Mm-hmm. You know what was one thing that we talked about a little bit that I guess I never really articulated in a way that, um, in the way that we kind of talked about is when we were talking about some of the, uh, uh, you know, posting of controversial things and one of the new trends right now, which is people posting a lot about how they're handling off-leash dog situations Mm. and things like that. Yeah. And uh, I feel like the way we approached that conversation when him and I were talking about it was from a lot more of a lens of like empathy to the to the other person you know like mm-hmm. i feel like like sometimes as trainers we need to put ourselves in a position where yes we need to protect our dog we're with right if i'm out on a walk and an off leash dog comes barreling at me while i'm walking my four dogs or something like that like i'm going to do anything i need to to make that dog go away and yep. i do think it's very irresponsible of the other person to just have their dog off leash to go run up and approach people and dogs and stuff like that right mm. um but if i were to really look at my day to day that's happening so infrequently like yeah. once or twice a year maybe do i actually have an off leash dog that gets so close to making contact with my dogs when i'm out and about in public that i need to actually do something about it to mm. make that dog go away or i get into some sort of altercation with the owner over it or something like that yeah. like it happens so infrequently and i think that's because i take a degree of responsibility of you know it's like they talk about like defensive driving Right. I used to joke a lot about like I teach owners how to how to do defensive walking with their dogs. I think we might have talked about that on the podcast before where it's like just because I can take my dog everywhere doesn't mean I should. Like sometimes I need to assess the places I'm going to be going. And if there are places that I know are notorious for having off leash dogs at. Right. I'm going to avoid those places, even if I'd love to be able to walk my dog through that fucking area. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it because it's not worth the hassle. Yeah. It's not worth me going there and, and, and getting in the mix of, of this thing that these people do all the time, whether it's right or wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And then getting mad at them and yelling at them and starting this big fight over their dogs rushing up to me. I'm just going to avoid that situation. Yeah. Right. Or mm-hmm. as I'm walking. Right. Just being a little bit more aware of what's going on around you. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some videos I've seen going around of, you know, somebody's got their dog in a down state and a dog is like walking two feet past their dog and then kind of pulls over to sniff at the dog. The person's like, no, 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 don't let your dog do that. Your dog's not allowed to do that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. And it's like when we're, we go for walks at parks with our dogs, right? I instruct owners as we're like, so like we're walking down the path, do, 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 right? And I see another dog coming, you know, that's 100 feet away, 100 yards yeah. away, whatever, right? Yeah. Far away, right? Mm hmm. Every single time I run into that situation, because I don't want dogs approaching my dog, right? I always teach the owner. I was like, all right, so let's look at this situation. The dog is on a flexi lead right now. Dog's all over the place, Mm -hmm. right? I just watched the owner let the dog pull up to the next, the the first three people that walked by them, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, the dog seems totally out of control. He's not reeling the dog in on the flex lead at all. Yeah. I'm not even going to try to pass by that person. <laughs> no. Right? I am going to create the biggest arc around that person where it is impossible for them to let their dog get to my dog. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. On the contrary, right? Let's say owner's walking their dog on a six-foot leash. Seems like the dog's in a heel position, right? Owner's got good control. The dog's not approaching any people or dogs, right? Even then... I'm going to create enough distance away from that dog where my rule of thumb is like, if my dog were to lunge at this dog and that dog were to lunge at my dog, that there's still enough space where they couldn't actually make contact with each other. Yeah. Right. So if their dog's on a six foot leash and my dog's on a six foot leash, I am going to be effectively, what would that be? Probably 15 feet away from the person as I pass by to Mm -hmm. account for six feet of leashes on both sides and Mm -hmm. then a little bit of wiggle room in between. Yeah. Right. So defensive walking and not putting yourself in a position where this conflict is going to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the way we talked about it was really important because I do think I, I see so many people talking about like, what do you do when an off leash dog approaches your dog? And, and the, the number one things that go out and we're guilty of this. We've talked about this also. Right. And I do mm-hmm. stand by these things. Right. If I run into an emergency situation where an off leash dog is approaching. Right. You could use a pet corrector. You could throw something at the dog. You could try to whack it away with your leash. You can kick it away. You do whatever you need to do to protect your dog ultimately. Mm-hmm. But really the answer to that question is don't let it happen in the first place. No. And a lot of people, they, their brain goes to, well, what, what people are going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> well, why do I take dogs out in public every single day, multiple times a day, yeah. and it only happens to me maybe once or twice a year? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> once or twice a year taking a little bit of personal responsibility for it. Yeah. And I thought that part of the conversation was really important. I did want to kind of piggyback yeah. off of that a little bit and, and break it down a little bit more because I think that side of things isn't talked about enough of like, let's take some responsibility for why we're putting our dog in a position where that is happening so much in the first place. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, <laughs> like you, you were saying about the examples on like TikTok with that guy, it's like you're looking for a problem. You know, at Sometimes, that point, yeah. pretty much. And, and like, is that, that's not, like you said, it's completely not fair, A, to the dog that you're training, I feel like, and B, to the, the person and the other dog. Yeah. You know, they, they're just have, trying to have a walk. They're just trying to live their life. And you're, you're kind of bringing them into this, yeah. you know, situation that they didn't want to be in. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, like so much of our podcast is looking at things from the lens of, of empathy towards one side of the equation. Right. True. Which is very important. Right. And obviously, we're always going to have a bias towards one side or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, and that could be when we're talking about a trainer versus owner. It could mm-hmm. be when we're talking about owner versus irresponsible owner. It could be it could be anything. Yeah. Right. But if we could put ourselves in the other side's shoe sometimes, whether we're talking about fucking dog training, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about the world as a whole, if we could just put ourselves in the other person's shoe, even if we really disagree with what they're doing, a lot of times you're going to, you're going to come to a more clear headspace about how to respectfully handle situations. um, So much better than you would otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing that, that we could all do a little bit better of a job with in this industry and in life. Yeah. Play a little devil's advocate, you know? little devil's advocate. It's always important, right? <laughs> Dang, we just got real. <clears throat> Starting off deep. Deep. <laughs> all right. So what we're going to talk about today, so just maybe a week ago, um, I compiled and put together a new blog post that uh, two weeks ago, actually, um, on the website. We haven't okay. really talked about it yet, and we haven't really advertised it yet because... I still have to put some photos on it and stuff like that. Uh, and I want to shout out uh, Michelle over at uh, Miracle Canine, our, our, our one-on-one trainer over there, uh, because a lot of this was her idea to put this together. And a lot of the points in this, um, she had something she had kind of made that I piggybacked off of okay. and kind of turned it into like a bigger overall post, right? Let's go. So I'll give her some credit on this, obviously. But I, I do want to break this down, right? So she's she's been saying basically, <clears throat> you know, for a while now, we get a lot of people that sign up for puppy classes with us, mm-hmm. right? And our puppy program, generally, we like to start when the dog is about 14 to 16 weeks old. I think that's a good age where they can go through the 10-week-long course and end in a really solid spot. And it's old enough where we can kind of jump into the training like how we need to jump into and not slow things down too, Mm -hmm. too much, right? But let's say you're starting at 14 weeks even, right? You get your dog at eight weeks old. That's six weeks of time where you can't, you're not starting the training, right? 
And you don't necessarily know what the hell do I do with this dog for six to potentially eight weeks. Yeah. Right. So she was like, she had the idea of like, let's put together like a, a post, a blog post or a handout or something like that. We can give people that sign up for this program of things that they can do in the meantime until they start mm. the actual training. Right. Yeah. So that's what this post is. Right. Uh, it's called uh, getting a new puppy. Everything you need to know. Yeah. For reference, we're, uh, where can people find it? This is on our website. So if okay. you go to MiracleCanineTraining.com and just go to the tab that says blog, we've got a handful of blog posts on there. Um, I would say we post maybe one to two blog posts a year, all sorts of different ones. We broke down some of them on here. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, some of them we still have to go over, obviously. But mm-hmm. we'll start with this one, this puppy one, obviously. Perfect. Yeah, so we have we have eight blog posts up there right now that are all pretty okay. good, right? There you go. I used to do a lot of blogging. We, we read over like mm-hmm. my like greatest hits, I called it the yeah. one time, <laughs> right? We did a podcast episode, probably fucking 40 episodes in or something like that. We read all yeah. my old blog posts. I don't write as much as I used to, and I really would like to kind of change that because I used to really like putting my thoughts together like on paper and creating blog posts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I was I was pretty excited that we put this one together for you guys. Yeah, it's good for your creative <laughs> juices, you know. Get them get them flowing. Yeah. What was that, your WordPress? WordPress, yeah. Is this, my Word, WordPress site back is, is that still a thing? It's WordPress? still up there. You search David Turpak WordPress, you'll find it. Perfect. There you go. You'll find it. <laughs> All right, so let's let's break this down here. So this is kind of like a a step by step by step just just pointers, right? None mm-hmm. of this is really a training thing. I mean, if you look at it from the lens of like, what is training? Training is living with a dog and, <laughs> yeah. and, and stopping unwanted behaviors and helping this dog navigate life. It's, yeah. it's training, right? Yeah, but a lot of this kind of stuff is really going to be management related of how do we manage this puppy? And before we start formal, formal training, how do we make sure that we're positioning ourselves for success and not creating a lot of problems for mm-hmm. us, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading here. So so you got a new puppy, maybe even your first dog ever. This journey you're going to go on can be one of the most exciting and rewarding things you do as you watch them grow, play, and develop into your new best friend. Who doesn't love big feet, clumsy playtime, and puppy snuggles? But their <laughs> cuteness can very quickly begin to wane when you find them chewing on your new carpet, are constantly cleaning messes, and hear Adele verberating from their belly because they ate your iPads. AirPods. <laughs> iPads. AirPods. AirPods. Oh, boy. That last line was a Michelle one. I stole that one directly from yeah. her. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> that is good. Luckily, with a little bit of patience and a good game plan to set them up for success, you can quickly get past these frustrating puppy stages with minimal casualties. Here are some tips we've compiled to help you survive puppyhood with your new dog. (laughs) Need a little espresso sip. All right. Tip number one. Josh, what do you think tip number one is? Let's see how many of these you hit on the head, Josh. Give me a couple big pointers. Oh, God. For a new dog. Oh, Lord. Let's see how good of a dog trainer you are. What, what kind of things should people do or not do? <laughs> With their puppies? With a brand new puppy. You get a brand new puppy. Mm. What things should you do? All right. Uh, first things first for, for messes is uh, taking them out regularly for potties. Regular potty schedule. Yes, regular potty schedule. Never le- let them leave your site. That's a big Supervision. one. Supervision. Supervision. Um, I mean, <clears throat> from my experience, we created him, you know, created the puppy at night. Great time. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, um, feeding management. I don't know. I don't feeding know management? Yeah, maybe. What do you mean by that? Uh... I don't know, maybe like hand feeding, stuff like that, just to get them comfortable with you being around. All right. I think that's probably my points. <laughs> I can't think of really much anything else. You're missing number one. Oh, God. What's number one? Josh. I'm sorry. Number one. Yes. Your leash is your savior. Ah, yeah. Your leash yeah. is your savior. What do we mean by that? It means you always can have some sort of control over the, the puppy. Bingo. <laughs> Keep in mind that puppies know absolutely nothing when you first bring them home. That means not just obedience commands, but also behavioral issues and bad habits. The single most important thing we could do as soon as we bring our young dog home is ensure that the dog is not ever in a position to rehearse these things in the first place. 
The easiest way to do that is to make sure your dog wears a leash all the time, both inside and outside. Dog doesn't come when called, use your leash. Dog likes to sneak off into the other room and pee, use your leash. <laughs> dog loves to jump all of her guests that come over, use your leash. You get the message. The yeah. leash allows you to steer them away from any temptations and back on to you. Yes, completely. I can't believe I didn't think about it. It truly is the number one thing, is mm-hmm. when we really look at our dog doesn't know anything. That means yeah. they don't know how to follow you around or come when called or do any of those types of things. Mm-hmm. But also, when you bring them into their house, they don't know how to have accidents in the house. They don't know how to jump on the counters. They don't know how to jump on people. They don't know how to do all of these types of things. So if you just keep a leash on your dog while you're in the house, mm-hmm. you can make sure that they don't learn how to do those things in the first place. True. We talked about this, and we did a podcast series about a year and a half ago when we got waffles where yeah. the first like three episodes were basically these are all the things I did with this dog like the first week back home and the mm-hmm. number one thing I told everybody was he was on a leash at all times in the house that leash never came off of him it didn't never came off of him he was on it at all times um and it just it helped so much I mean we would do a podcast episode and I would have him right over there next to that table I would have the leash back tied under that table. That way he couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. He didn't know a bed command or a down command or anything like that. But he knew when he was hooked off to that leash right there that he couldn't go off and get into things and stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, so the leash allows you to do that. And, and and I'll tell you, that's the one. If people could just do that with their young dogs when they first bring them to their house, they would avoid so many fucking problems. Yeah. So many problems. I mean, look at Waffles now. He's look a star. Look at now. <laughs> Superstar. Number two. You missed this one also, Josh. Man. Number two. Managing your environment, a.k.a. puppy proofing. Ah. Puppy proofing. Puppy proofing. Again, we get back to, you know, we want to teach our dog to not do these things, mm-hmm. right? If, if, like, Waffles picked something up he wasn't supposed to or this or that, I would correct him for it, and he would learn from it, and he would learn not to pick that thing up. Mm-hmm. But... Let's put some of the tempting things away so I'm not every four seconds needing to get on the dog over something. Yeah. Let's make it a little easier for the dog. Let's put ourselves on the dog's shoes for a minute. <laughs> and if there's all these fun, entertaining things laying around all the time. You're going to do it. I'm probably going to try to do it. Yeah. And yes, we need to teach the dog. We got to crack the dog. But if, if everything is just out all the time, you're going to be cracking the dog all the time for stuff. Yeah. So let's make it a little easier. Set up for success. Obviously, we want to teach our dog what's right and what's wrong over time so that we can keep our house exactly how we want it without needing to worry about putting everything away and live a strict, minimalist lifestyle. Mm. That being said, there are going to be so many different things that you are working on with your young dog over the course of the first five to six months of their life. Additionally, many of these things can be toxic or dangerous to dogs where it isn't worth the risk. Instead of overwhelming them and yourself with the frustrations of missing something and having your favorite shoe chewed up, putting anything that could be enticing to your puppy away and out of reach. Later on, you could put those things back out one at a time when you have some training and the ability to consistently tell the dog clearly that they aren't allowed to touch it, Mm. right? The toxic thing is really important because here's the thing, right? Let's say... I don't know. Let, let's say I keep my Advil or whatever the fuck, right? Somewhere <laughs> yeah. that the dog can hypothetically get to. And I'm like, no, I like my Advil in that spot. <laughs> I'm just going to teach the dog to not go for it. It's like, uh, is it really worth it if your dog eats the entire bottle of Advil and no. then needs to get their stomach pumped or they die from yeah, it because yeah. you felt like you just desperately needed to keep it right there? Yeah. Or shoes. A lot of people complain that their dog chews up shoes right? Mm -hmm. I've had people that have come in before that have complained about their dog chewing up like a $1,500 pair of shoes or something like that. And I'm just like, I, I get the frustration, but at the same time, yes, we want the dog to avoid that. But is it worth literally a $1,500 pair of shoes getting chewed up? Couldn't you just maybe put those in the closet and just make sure they're not out where the puppy can get them? Right? Let's take a little bit of personal responsibility for some of this kind of stuff. And later on, once the dog has proved that they don't chew up shoes, then if you desperately feel like you need to keep those shoes out, you can, knowing the chances of them going for it are so low then at that point. Yeah. Let's just keep the Gucci's in the... In the Keep closet. the Gucci loafers in the closet. <laughs> Please. 
Yo, I tell everybody, I'm one of these days, I'm going to buy a pair of those Gucci loafers they sell <laughs> to have the fur just popping out of them. And then yeah. they got, you know, the Gucci, like, like Japanese-style tiger? Yeah. Right? And they got those right on the top of them. Man, they're fucking sweet. <laughs> sweet. I think when I was in Vegas last time, I walked in the Gucci store, and they had a pair of them there, and I was looking at them, and I was like, God damn. I was like... I was like this close, this close. <laughs> I think they're like 1100 bucks or something like that. Yeah. I was like, damn, I'm real close to getting them. But do I need $1,100 Gucci loafers? Hey, Probably not. That was about your. That was about to be your Wes Watson flex. Listen, if there's anybody on here that really, really enjoys the podcast and really wants to buy me a present, I wear a size 10 and a half <laughs> in Gucci loafers. <laughs> You could send them to the shop. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch out. Someone's gonna buy those for you. Please do. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> God. All right. Number three, Josh. You hit the nail on the head with this one. Yeah, yeah, I hit one. Use a crate a lot. Let's go. All right. Number three, use a crate a lot. Josh, why do you use a crate a lot? Why? Uh, <laughs> so if there's. Maybe I can't supervise the dog, or if there was a potty accident, we can use that to, I don't know, <laughs> I just make a separation for a little bit, and then we know that they're not going to get in trouble. And then I know for like the potty thing, you put them in there, you bring them out, vice versa, you know. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> let's, break, let's break it down. <clears throat> Crates are one of the most important tools we could use with our young dog. Uh It allows you to have a safe place for them while you aren't able to supervise. It blocks patterns of having accidents in the house. Dogs generally won't make a mess where they sleep. And it gives them nap time to keep their behavior balanced out. They are like children and will get cranky without one. We recommend using a crate anytime that you aren't home, at nighttime, and for a few hours at a time in the middle of the day when you aren't able to supervise them. Not all dogs love it initially. That's okay. Use it consistently. Tolerate some whining and barking. They will get past it in no time. I said that, but just a little less scientifically. And, you know. The the idea here is supervision is the most important thing. But if you didn't have a crate and you needed to supervise your dog 24 hours a day, all day long, that's impossible. Yeah. There's going to be things you need to do, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be times where you need to take a shower for 20 minutes and you can't watch the dog. There's going to be times you need to leave the house. There's going to be times at night when you're sleeping where even if the dog sleeps some of the times through the night, other times they might wake up in the night and start chewing on something or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So the crate blocks all of those patterns. Additionally, the crate is the number one easiest way to, to, to housebreak your dog because generally they won't go in the crate. Mm-hmm. They're not going to break that, you know, rehearse that pattern of sneaking off into another room. Uh, it's just, it's a wonderful tool. And and the thing is, most of the people that I hear that don't use a crate with their young dog only do it because the first time they put the dog in the crate, they protest a little bit. Mm-hmm. Guys, your puppy is going to do that. Yeah. Your puppy is going to protest when you stick them in the crate and you need to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. And you need to be ready to make sure that that is just not something that is going to be tolerated. Yeah. Right. I had a lady one time come in, very, very nice client, but... She came in with this young dog she's having all these issues with, and and she was like, the dog has terrible separation anxiety. This dog was very young. I was like, well, are you crating the dog? And she's like, no, I'm not. I was like, you have to. Like, that's the only way you're going to be able to get past this. She's like, well, the dog just, like, whines and barks in the crate when I put him in the crate. I was like, well, that's what dogs do when you put them in the crate, generally, for the first time. She said, I just can't do it. I get migraines. And I was like, I I was like... it's a puppy. It's gonna. That's what you signed up for. Yeah. You have to be able to tolerate your dog making a little bit of noise in the crate when you first get them. Mm-hmm. You just have to, yeah. right? And if you don't, you are setting yourself up for a world of problems later on. Yeah. So use your crate and use it a lot. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of sleepless nights with Bender, but after that, I've had so many perfect nights. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just got to get them past it, you yeah. know, and the first couple of days are going to, for some dogs can be extremely rough. Yep. Right. Just got to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and then also like not just using the crate at night, but like giving them times throughout the day in it, that like nap time concept is so, so important. Mm. Cause like, like, there are some dogs that just like when they start getting restless, they're like kids, like their energy just like skyrockets through the roof because they're trying to keep themselves from falling asleep and they just get more wild. 
right? Yep. So proactively putting them in there, like they just zonk out, they crash, and they're just good. So use your crate. Use it. Next one. You hit the nail on the head with this one, too. Supervision is key. And what to do if you can't watch them. All right. Having eyes on our puppy is the number one thing that you need to be able to do at all times. Mm-hmm. The lack of having eyes on your puppy is also the number one reason why young dogs develop so many unwanted behavioral issues in the first place. Obviously, the task of never letting them out of eyesight can be extremely daunting, and there will be times that it isn't re- realistic. That is where your crate comes into play. Being able to confine them when you're busy cooking dinner, taking a shower, or sleeping allows you to never miss a beat and know that they are safe while you take a mental break from the responsibilities of puppy ownership. Mm. We're responsible for helping our pup navigate the environment around them, and we can't do that if we're not paying attention. So that goes hand-in-hand with the crate training side of things. Yeah. Right? Just supervise the dog. Right? Again, that is a number one thing. I hear owners all the time. Housebreaking is a common one that I think is is a a big supervision issue. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. I hear people all the time that come in and there's a big difference between puppy owners that are just so freaking militant and on top of shit and they get past housebreaking issues in the first like two months of owning the dog and then people that struggle with it for the first year that they own the dog, right? And the number one deciding factor is they keep eyes on the dog because very, very few dogs will have an accident directly in front of you. If they're having an accident directly in front of you, you missed about 9,000 signals they were telling you they needed to go outside, right? But- Many, many dogs will learn they could sneak off and go somewhere else, and it's much easier than waiting for us to take them outside. And if you allow them to do that, they develop that pattern. God, it's just such a pain in the ass to reverse later on. Mm -hmm. All right, number five. I don't think think you got this one. Okay, fine. Give your dog appropriate outlets for using their mouth. Puppies love to use their teeth. Let's give them some appropriate things they could use them on. This won't solve the issues of biting or chewing things by itself, but by showing them where they can do it while doing a good job of managing the dog using the above pointers, we can minimize the amount of fingers and baseboards that find themselves at the mercy of their sharp puppy teeth, Mm. right? Now, this one is actually, I think I... Had Michelle not written that one down, I probably would not have put that on the list. Not because it's wrong by any means, Mm -hmm. right? But like my brain sometimes with dogs gets a little too just teach the dog what we want them to do or don't want them to do, Mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, puppies want to use their mouth. Yeah. Dogs in general want to use their mouth, right? And the more outlets we could give them of appropriate places to do it, the easier stopping the unwanted places will be, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to caveat this with, you know, the old, like, uh, switcheroo trick that a lot of people teach, which is, like, if you see your dog chewing on a baseboard, go get a toy and bring him over to this and redirect him onto it. I definitely don't agree with that, right? Because I think that, if anything, you're kind of sometimes unintentionally reinforcing the chewing where you don't want it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, So this one is important when used in conjunction with actually stopping the places that we don't want, Right. <clears throat> so um, giving your dog some appropriate places and make sure it's appropriate things that are clearly distinguishable as far as things that are theirs and things that are not theirs. I think there's something to be said about with young dogs not having toys just freely out all the time for them and designating kind of toy times, right? So like if you have some chew toys, you could bring them out for an hour a day in the middle of the day and an hour in the evening or something like that where you give it to them, you supervise it, and it's very clear, I'm giving you this thing right now that's yours to chew on So it's not just like there's things scattered about where they might think then the shoe in the corner is also a chew toy because it's just laying around all the time, right? Or Mm -hmm. or things like that, right? I think designating times for it can be extremely, extremely beneficial. Hmm. So that's thing number five. Number six, again, this is, this is, these are kind of more nuanced ones here, right? Mm -hmm. Six is have realistic expectations, right? So... It's important to remember that your puppy has no pre-existing knowledge of how to adapt to life with humans. We have to be patient and consistent with helping them to understand what we need and want from them. You will have some accidents in the house. You will wind up with something chewed up and destroyed. You will get frustrated from time to time with the dog. We're human. We slip up sometimes. But as these things happen, it's important to always take a step back and ask ourselves, what did we do wrong and how can we prevent it from happening again? Mm. I think this is important, right? Because, well, I know it's important. 
But the reason why I think it's so important is because especially for the people that are the really great puppy owners, the really militant puppy owners, the ones that are just like on top of their shit all the time, Mm -hmm. you're going to have issues still. You're going to slip up sometimes. Like this puppy is going to drive you fucking nuts sometimes. Yeah. When it's barking in its fucking crate, you don't have training to be able to tell it to stop or anything like that. Or you do wind up with something chewed up. I When I first got Vinny, I had two MacBook chargers chewed up over the course of like two days. Ugh. Those motherfuckers are like $85. So expensive. Right? Two two over the course of two days. Totally my fault. Yeah. Right? Well, the first one, maybe not. Like, he was right in front of me, and the cord was just kind of dangling, and he chewed it real fast. The second one was 100% my fault, because it was the exact same situation, and I should have told myself, he just did this the day before. Yeah. I, got, I went and bought this new charger <laughs> and plugged it in. And I should have known he was going to try to do it again, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, but like, but like, things like that are going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And all you could do is just look at it from a learning opportunity. The first time it happened, I didn't look at it as a learning opportunity. Second time yeah. it happened, I was like, all right, dude, like, you, we're, we're not doing this again. We are going to make sure yeah. that we proactively teach him not to do it and put him in a position where he's not able to rehearse it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, stuff like that is going to happen. And you just can't let it frustrate you so much, right? Mm. Um, and if you look at everything that does slip through the cracks, you're not going to let these things become really strongly ingrained bad habits, right? Like, I, I think a mm. lot of times, you know, the dog will start rehearsing jumping, right, or chewing or something like that. Yeah. And we just, like, don't think anything of it until it happens, like, 25 times in a row, mm-hmm. right? And then yep. we're all frustrated. Well, why is this still happening? And it's like, well... The dog did it 25 times already, mm-hmm. and you didn't do shit about it on your end to make any adjustments to make sure that they weren't going to do it the next time. Yeah. So that's a you problem then at that point. Yep. Right? So at the realistic expectations is very important, right? Additionally, past the people that are just like really good owners, that's kind of my reminder of like no matter how good you are, there's still going to be problems and try to not get too hard on yourself over it, yeah. right? There's the other side of the equation, which is people that just think puppies should come out of the box just easy, right? Or think puppies should just come out of the box just never having a problem with anything, and you shouldn't have to do a lot of work, which is, this is my reminder to you that, like, yo, it's a fucking puppy. Yeah. You're going to have to put in some work. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so that's number six. So, so number seven, this is a little bit more... Um, a, a, a little bit more uh, uh, nuance, and it's kind of th- this could have been like its own blog post, but okay. I tried to compile it into like a shorter um, point on this post, right? Mm-hmm. So this is housebreaking structure. So housebreaking with young dogs is one of the biggest questions we have people ask is about is like, how do I make sure this dog doesn't have accidents all over my house? Learns how to go outside, stuff like that, right? So I'll read it, and then we'll see if there's things that I have to add to it or not. Right? Okay. So. Um, one of the hardest things for some and the easiest for others is housebreaking. Mm -hmm. Rest assured, though, that this is only as hard as you make it. This is a rough breakdown of how you could structure out your day with your puppy to make sure that they are having minimal accidents inside and beginning to develop the routine of going outside only. And the reason why I said that this is hardest for some and easiest for others and it's only as hard as you make it is because housebreaking in a nutshell, is do anything you need to do to make sure the dog doesn't go to the bathroom inside and take them outside in the same exact spot to go as frequently as you possibly can. Yep. And do that for as long as possible, mm-hmm. even if it's like the dog's not telling you they need to go outside. Like That shit takes time. Dogs don't just inherently know how to tell you to go outside. And yep. in a lot of cases, they don't actually develop that skill until well, well later in life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's our job to just get them outside. Even if you're taking them outside every fucking hour when you're home, just oh. do it and just block the pattern of doing anything other than going outside in one singular place. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you do that, you're not going to have problems with it. And you just say, this is just what I have to do. Right. And then a month goes by, two months go by, three months go by, four months go by. Then you have a six month old dog that has had one or two accidents in the house and just knows they need to go outside. Yep. Okay. So. Um, take the dog outside to potty as soon as you, then this is like a rough breakdown of a day here, Mm -hmm. right? Take the dog outside to potty as soon as you wake up, use a leash and don't give attention to or play with the dog until they have gone to the bathroom. This makes it a purposeful task and keeps them focused. Now, this is a really important key here because these are the nuances of what helps you to be successful and not have to be like on your toes so much, right? 
we want to make potty time very clear that it is solely for potty time, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of people make the mistake if they go outside in the morning, right? Dogs off leash, they got a big yard, dogs tearing around, having fun, playing, and then kind of winds up going to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, in our mind, it's like, bing, they went outside, we're good, right? Mm. But in their mind, they were outside playing and just so happened to need to go to the bathroom, Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So it's not as clear of a distinction in their head as we want it to be, where if we Mm. go outside on a leash, we're not playing or anything. We are going outside solely to go to the bathroom right now, right? Dang. It's much more clear for them. Big, 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 big difference. If you want to reward the dog when they go outside, you can. I'll tell you, the reward is just them going outside, right? Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't believe treating the dog every time they go outside and go to the bathroom is going to do you a whole lot of good, right? Yeah. Um, I really think just the act of, oh, I went outside. This was, that was nice. It feels good, right? I yeah. relieved myself. Like, you know, like I didn't get, a, you know, nobody yelled at me or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. You're just developing a pattern and, and you don't need a bunch of treats in order to do that, yeah. right? Because the act of doing it, they have to do anyways. For sure. Right? So um, that's step number one. Next one, give meal and water access. Your dog should eat all of their food immediately when you put it down and not leave anything in the bowl. If they're leaving scraps or grazing, you're feeding too much and you need to cut the food back Mm. having a dog that eats everything right away and doesn't graze allows you to keep a very consistent bowel movement schedule this is an important one and this is you mentioned like feeding management Mm. now hand feeding and stuff like that can be nice for training purposes but this isn't necessarily directly correlated to training so that would kind of be a separate point but it's not wrong by any means Mm -hmm. really what's important is that you have your dog on a consistent meal schedule yeah right you're not overfeeding them they're not grazing and stuff like Mm -hmm. that because if they're on a consistent feeding schedule they're not overeating they're eating just enough and at the exact same time and same amount every single day Mm -hmm. their bowel movement is going to be extremely consistent Mm -hmm. they're not going to be getting sick from overeating which is going to cause them to need to go outside more frequently Mm -hmm. and you're going to make your job ten thousand times easier for sure right so like that's kind of a separate point is like your meal schedule needs to be very consistent Mm -hmm. and you need to make sure your dog is eating everything you put in front of them and you need to not be feeding your dog too much from a training standpoint keeping your dog a little bit hungry also by not feeding them too much Mm. helps with your training ten thousand x oh yeah right so very very important there all right next part here after any meal time, it's up to us to make sure we know how long the, generally, the dog generally takes to relieve themselves. For most dogs, 30 to 40 minutes is standard. For some less, for some more. When you take them out at this time, give them 10 minutes or so. If they don't completely relieve themselves, take them inside and put them in their crate for 10 to 15 minutes and then take them out again. Make the dog earn their freedom out of the crate by going to the bathroom outside. Mm. Repeat this structure anytime you feed the dog whether it's two or three times per day. In between meals, take the dog out every few hours or after any playtime to pee. Okay, this is another really important point, and it's broken into two sections here, right? Mm. Section one is understanding how long it takes for your dog to digest and relinquish the food that they ate, Mm. right? You're not going to figure this out immediately. The only way you figure this out is by timing it. Mm. Let's say you feed your dog at 6 o'clock in the morning right six o'clock goes by generally speaking 30 minutes is like the minimum right after 30 minutes take them outside for a couple minutes right if they don't go go back inside and this is where part two comes into place which is how we ensure that when we think the dog might need to go that they go outside and we don't miss it and they have an accident inside the house is we use our crate for that so after 30 minutes if they haven't gone all right well it's not 30 minutes take them inside put them into their crate for 10 minutes we put them in their crate because they're generally not going to go in their crate. Mm-hmm. After 10 minutes, take them outside again. That would be the 40-minute mark. Give them a couple minutes. If they still don't go, go back inside. Put them in their crate. Mm-hmm. Wait another 10 minutes. Now we're at the 50-minute mark. Take them outside. See if they go. If they don't go, bring them inside. Stick them in their crate. Mm. 10 more minutes. 60 minutes, an hour. Take them outside. Boom, they finally go, right? <laughs> 60 minutes is our time. Mm-hmm. From 60 minutes after we feed the dog, the dog will need to go to the bathroom. Mm. They're like clockwork with that shit, especially yeah. since dogs aren't eating all sorts of extra shit. Yeah. They're eating their food. That's it, That's right? It. 60 minutes is your time. That means the next time, maybe start with 50 minutes. Yep. 
right? Repeat the process, see if it's in between 50 or 60. If not, go right back to 60. At that point, every time you feed the dog, take the dog out 60 minutes later to go to the bathroom, and you will almost guarantee to have them go right away at that point, which will expedite that process, right? Yeah. Same deal would handle uh, like the dog peeing. Let's say you're it's the middle of the day. You just played with the dog. You took him outside. They peed. You brought him back inside, and they guzzled a bunch of water because they just finished playing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know this dog is going to need to pee at some point, you know, 20 minutes after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. So take them outside 20 minutes after. If they don't go, put them in their crate for five minutes, then mm-hmm. take them out again, right? And you use that to teach the dog, when I, need, when I know you need to go to the bathroom, you're going to have a chance to go. If you don't go, you're going to have to earn your freedom outside in the house with me by going outside, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're using like indirect rewards for this, right? The reward is freedom in the house. Mm. You access that by peeing outside, right? Yep. And we teach them that through this process. So that paragraph is very, very important. Mm. All right, moving on to the next part. Before bedtime, make sure you cut all food and water access at a reasonable time so the dog has plenty of time to clear anything out of their system so they can sleep fully through the night. We usually recommend between 6 and 7 p.m. This is depending on what time you go to bed, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I would say most people go to bed 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, stuff like that. If that's the case, between 6 and 7 p.m., you're taking the water away. The dog will not have any more access to water. Your feeding should have been done by then Mm -hmm. for your evening meal, right? And you've then got a couple of hours to take that dog outside as many times as you need to so they clear literally everything out of their system. That Mm -hmm. way you could sleep great through the night. A lot of people think that with young puppies, that you're going to need to be waking up in the middle of the night all the time. I'll tell you, maybe the first week. Yeah. Maybe the first week, right? But I've rarely ever had a young puppy that couldn't hold it for eight hours through the night Mm -hmm. very quickly after having them. Yeah. It, It really is a matter of... You know, you teaching them uh, that you're going to have to hold it mm-hmm. as making sure nothing's in their system and uh, just taking them out right away when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Right. That's really the key with it. Um, we'll have a lot of people ask me and this, even with older dogs. Sometimes I had a client ask me this somewhat recently with like a eight or nine month old puppy. They said, oh, the dog is starting to wake up at 3 a.m. every day. Right. And I go take them outside, you know, and they're, they're whimpering and whining and barking. I take them outside and they you know, maybe go to the bathroom, maybe just kind of want to run around and play. And, and it's becoming this habit. And I tell them, I was like, don't let it become a habit, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if your puppy is whimpering, whimpering and whining in the crate, again, after the first week, after you've confirmed they need to go or they don't need to go, a lot of times they just want to be out of the crate. Yeah. It's no different when you put them in in the middle of the day and they're whining because they'd rather be out playing with you, mm-hmm. right? Um, try to just teach them like, hey, you're going to have to hold it through X time. Because mm-hmm. they very much are capable of it, almost yep. 100% of the time. And then last thing I just said, with a little hard work, you'll get past these early stages and the dog will not develop any bad habits of going inside. Just remember, it's your number one job to make sure the dog only goes outside, take them out as frequently as needed to achieve this goal for the first few months, and you will be good to so that's our little crash course into your first couple weeks with a puppy. Yeah. And all of that, like I said, is prior to starting training. The mm-hmm. second you bring that dog home, all those things will help make sure that by the time you start training, you're in a really good spot with the dog. For sure. All right. So I have a, actually a, a good little story for this, but um, I, think, story, I think I already know your opinion, but what do you think about bells, you know, like on the door? Yeah, for like letting letting you know they need to go outside. Yeah. So again, you get into the dog telling you that they need to go. You don't need bells for that. I just yeah. don't. A lot of people, when people ask, because we get a lot of people to ask, like, oh, well, I, should I use a bell or this or that? Yeah, yeah. When people ask me that question, they're looking for a solution for why the dog is having accidents in the house, mm-hmm. which the solution is not put fucking bells on the door. The solution <laughs> is stop letting the dog go to the bathroom in the house yep. and forget the dog letting you know you make sure the dog doesn't go to the bathroom in the house. And once you do that and the dog clearly understands going outside is the way to go and going inside is not an option, Mm -hmm. once they realize that, they will let you know in numerous different ways. It's just about knowing your dog. Like, Mm -hmm. I've never done bells with my dogs, but I can tell when I look at my dog, I can tell based on their body language and what they do when they go sit by the door and, and stuff like that. I can tell when they need to go to the bathroom. 
Yeah. I don't need bells for it. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we watched a friend of ours dog for a week while they were uh, out of town and they used the, they used the bells Mm -hmm. and this dog literally like lost its mind, had no idea how to like communicate or anything about when it needed to go potty. So Mm -hmm. it, Potty in the house a couple of times. We basically had to like retrain it. I mean, we did the whole crate thing, and then how old is this dog? Uh, I think he's two or three at this point. Okay. So the other thing I think people don't realize, especially if the dog never leaves your house and mm-hmm. stays elsewhere, right, mm-hmm. is that things don't just generalize very easily. Yeah. Right. For a that's a, still a relatively young dog, I mm-hmm. would say. Um, they might know their routine at home, but when you take them somewhere else, yeah. they have to figure out that routine there still, yeah. or else they're going to have at, I mean, it's like at the shop, right? Mm-hmm. Like we'll have numerous dogs come in that are like six years old that'll pee in the shop. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, not to go inside, but it's like, they don't know not to go inside there. Yeah. Right? yeah. The, the, the amount of confusion that the dog had, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but then, you know, just the simple, like, okay, well, this is how it works. And then yeah. within two days, it was fine. Then, the you know, the rest the rest of the time the dog was there, we never had a problem. But yeah. it, it was just like he was, yeah, so used to whatever his routine was there with the bells or whatever. Yeah. That he just didn't know how to communicate it. And then we noticed that he was squirming around. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And, and, like, to be clear, like, I don't have a problem with the bells. It's yeah. not like there's an issue with it. It's just most people that ask about it, they're they're looking for a different solution. Yeah. You know, it's not that they care that the dog rings. It's not like the people are like, oh, well, my dog lets me know how to go to the bathroom, but I just would like to be able to hear it instead of see it. Like that's because that's really what the bells would serve is like you could hear the dog ringing the bells, obviously, as opposed to see them waiting by the door. Right. Yeah. But it's like that's not why they're asking it. They're asking it because the dog is not housebroken yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And you need to focus on let's housebreak the dog first. Then let's teach the dog how to let us know how to go outside. Yeah. Right. True. That makes sense. So that's my opinion on bells. I like it. Was that your story? That was the story. Just <laughs> it was just so funny. It was just you know because that that's just how they trained the dog to go with the, was with the bells. We don't have bells. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, I mean, like you said, new environment. But yeah, it was very frustrating. It was like, oh man, you're like three, two, three year old dog. Come on, man. Yeah. But I, yeah, I get it too because it's like. You know, it's just not, he was, he's just not used to doing anything else, like you said. Yeah. Generalization is something people just don't, they don't think about enough, right? Which is, you know, just because your dog knows something one place doesn't mean they're going to know it everywhere. Yeah. Right? And every time you go to a new environment, anything you think your dog knows in your house, you should expect they're not going to know it in the new place until they've proven to you that they do know it still. Right? Yeah. Housebreaking, right? You go to stay at a friend's house for a week, those first two days, treat the dog like a fucking puppy. Right, just a triple yeah. confirm, triple confirm. I'm gonna let you out all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go to a new environment to go for an off-leash hike. Work a little bit of training for the first couple minutes, and make sure you got the dog under control and you mm-hmm. generalize to that environment before yep. you just let the dog off-leash doing whatever you want. Yeah, hundred percent, right? et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so that's that's the the bulk of today's episode. Obviously, is I wanted to break down that blog post. Like I said, there's a couple more that I wrote that I don't think we talked about on here that we'll probably get into in the next couple episodes. Okay. Um, last little update I want to give everybody that I think is pretty cool. Mm. Um, so we did the podcast episode a couple of weeks ago, the the kind of spicy one, the get it under control episode, yeah. right? And we talked about a dog Zay. Zay, the mm-hmm. pit bull, was the kind of the, the main dog we talked about in it who was having crazy reactivity, redirecting on owners, this mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Zay this morning. That's why we had to do the podcast a little late. I had a 9 a.m. lesson with him. Okay. He's been home for a week and a half now. Fucking crushing it. <laughs> Let's go. Yo, like, honestly, one of the best first weeks back home that I've seen in a while with a board and train. And here's why, here's why I think that's the case, right? So, so generally speaking in our send home lessons with people, if we're not doing serious behavioral modification, we kind of try to give the owner a crash course into stuff, right? We work a little Mm -hmm. bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Let's do inside the facility, bed stays, down stays, come commands, leash walking, talk about behavioral. Like we kind of like just briefly umbrella everything to have them start getting cruising on stuff. Mm -hmm. Given Zay's behavioral issues, I wanted to isolate one thing they could do just absolutely fucking perfectly with this dog. So so let's Mm. talk about what the send home lesson with him looked like, right? His primary issue was disaster on the walk, 
highly reactive to other dogs. And they had another big problem that their neighbor dog on the other side of their fence, he would get unbelievably reactive, which is where he actually went after the owners. One mm. case, like trying, they were trying to get him away from the fence. Mm. He turned into the dude had like a big scar on his forearm from this dog biting him. Yeah. Right. So we literally, I told him when they, they came there, I was like, listen guys, I was like, we're not going to go over a lot today. We're going to do a lot of leash walking and we're going to go address this fence issue. Right. So, so we went and we did a walk around the facility and through the park Cadell around the corner. We took them to Edgewater, walked around Edgewater. We took them to Tremont where they live. We walked them around Tremont. We took them into the backyard, had the neighbor let the dog out, address the fence issue. Mm. Right. And we taught them how to just get it under control. Like we talked about in the yeah, episode, go back and listen it. to that episode. It was a good one. Right. Mm-hmm. We taught them how to just not take shit from this dog. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. So good. Like, 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 Actually, pretty unbelievable how good he did. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see if I have this video. Hold on. It's brand new, brand new dog. Look at this. She sent me this like two days after she went home, and 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 mind you, she couldn't take this dog anywhere because of his behavior. Mm. She couldn't walk him. She. They said when they first came to the facility, they were like, we were talking about it on the way here. Like we like this dog was not enjoyable to be around. Mm-hmm. Talk about like ruining a relationship, stuff like that. Like yeah. th- their relationship with this dog sucked because of his behavior. Mm. Right. She sent me this a couple days after. There's a fucking party going on in Tremont. Look at all those people and tents and stuff. Look at him in his fucking downstay right there. Yeah. Just chilling. She said, because uh, I was asking her about that video today when I saw them, she said uh, there was also another dog like 20 feet away from him, like out of frame of the camera. Yeah. Wasn't even paying attention. Uh, his squirrel reactivity was out of control. Squirrels everywhere in that park. Oh, yeah. Right there and stuff perfectly behaved not one single issue with the fence the neighbor's dog um i mean let's go <laughs> today hold on this was today look at this this is called an off-leash heel damn you see that yeah let's go that's an off-leash heel this dog ain't even on a, on a goddamn leash yeah and this dog was so fucking reactive it was unbelievable off wow. healing through the park. Let's go. I mean, like, come on. Guys, like, yeah. like, I, and the reason why I wanted to, like, bring this last little update up is because, like, we talked about it in the, in the episode that we did, the Get It Under Control episode, right? Like, like some people are going to hear those things I say and just be like, God, you're, you don't give a fuck about these dogs and how they feel and this and that. And, 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 and all their reports, they were just like, it's like having a new dog. Yeah. Like that's what they said. To it. It's like having a new dog. Mm-hmm. It's so unbelievable, like how well behaved he is, how much we're enjoying him, how much more relaxed he seems, mm-hmm. right? All of that because we got his fucking nonsense under control. Sounds like a way better uh, dude. Just pr- it was just pretty cool. I don't <laughs> yeah, know, you know. So cool little update on that dog. He's he is absolutely crushing it, right? And and again, yeah, yeah. getting back to like what did what did I have the owners do with him? So we went on those walks with him because I knew, generally speaking, when we give the dog back to the owner, the dog's going to try at some point the behavior again. Mm-hmm. I think he was perfect around the facility. We took him to Edgewater. I think he kind of lunged at a squirrel. We corrected the shit out of him for it, like level 100 on the e-collar, like double tap on the e-collar for it, right? Then he was an angel after that. Mm-hmm. Then we took him to Tremont. We were walking around Tremont, and we walked by one of their neighbor's fences who had this little yappy dog that came running to the fence, like two feet away from us. Mm-hmm. Same deal, kind of lunged at him. Same deal, no. Like, I think it, like, triple tapped the e-collar at 100 or something like that. And then the uh, when they let the neighbor dog out, that was, like, his nemesis. Like, he would go mm-hmm. so crazy. Uh, at that point, he, like, kind of thought about lunging at the fence when they let him out because he had just gotten corrected a couple times before. I corrected him again for that nice and firm, and that was it, right? So yeah. I just instructed them to do the exact same thing. No nonsense policy for any of that, right? If mm-hmm. he rehearses any of that, we are giving very, very firm corrections and stopping that behavior. And today, actually, they were they were still being very firm on him over stuff today. Like, and <laughs> like at one point, like he was fine. Like his walk was great, obviously, and stuff. But like he broke a downstay, and they corrected him at like a ninety for it. And I, <laughs> I actually like was even like I was like guys, I was like he's crushing it right now. We started because we didn't go into a lot of obedience and stuff last time. Yeah, right? it was primarily just like getting his behaviors under control. I was like. I was like, now we're at this cool stage where we can kind of tone it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Like, if there's big issues, obviously, we can get on those things. But when we're working obedience commands and stuff, like we can tone it back. We can be a little easier on him and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And now they're going to really see him, like, flourish from it. Yeah, you know? for sure. So, really cool. Uh, we've got another follow-up session scheduled uh, uh, when I get back. I'm going to be out of town next, next like, week and a half here. Um, so, when we get back, we'll see him again. Make sure everything's still going good. But just, man, what a cool, what a cool success. 
Yeah. You know? It's really cool. Really cool. So. And then, um, I guess, last thing is... <clears throat> we just put a vlog up the other day that I think is a pretty cool vlog that originally I was thinking it was going to be the topic of today's podcast, but we could mm. again, save it for another time. Mm. The whole concept is of, of how training companies are structuring their follow-up sessions for like board and trains and stuff. Mm. And why I think so many training companies are losing clients and having clients wind up going to other trainers because of the way they're structuring follow-up sessions with this like idea of like we do a, set, a board and train and then we do two follow-up sessions and then if you need anything else like you have to pay us more for it or, or things yeah. like that right like um we, there was a couple situations in the vlog specifically or like a phone call i got from a client which is some questions about a dog did a board and train like maybe like four or five months ago uh, a follow-up session that i did in person with a dog that did a board and train like last september with us right and things like that and how it's, it's all included we, we give a year of follow-up classes with our board and train program for this reason it's over the course of that next year you know you're going to get through like the honeymoon stages of your training which is like oh everything is wonderful and then you're going to kind of slip a little bit somewhere in the middle of the year and then you're going to run into some sort of problem that needs to get addressed. And then it's going to like recalibrate and kickstart everything you need to do for long-term maintenance of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And because we provide that follow-up support, our clients don't need to go elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like, like I, I see this all the time where it's like they'll do, I, I had a situation I ran into somewhat recently. A, a lady did a board and train with another local trainer, Yeah. right? Expensive yeah. board and train, like $4,000 4, for fucking board and train. Like that's a lot of money, guys, yeah. right? Did it, Right. Like six months later, the dog started developing like a new serious issue, like a, like a, like some aggression issues, mm -hmm. right? And they contacted their trainer. They said, oh my God, this is happening. Like we don't know what to do. And the trainer said, oh wow, I think you need to do another board and train. <laughs> uh, excuse me? I don't think so. Another board and train? Really? You think uh, I need I to give you so. another over $4,000 yeah. to fix this fucking issue, right? Six months after I just did the board and train with you? Go fuck yourself. How about that, right? Oh, my God. But here's the thing. Like, that's kind of an extreme case of this person saying, like, you need to do another board and train, which is fucking ridiculous, first yeah. off, right? Yeah. Um, but the, the reality is, once you do your first couple follow-up sessions, like, you're not educated as much as you need to be educated, right? And if you run into another issue, even if they say, oh, yeah, that's, I mean, we charge $195 an hour for our training, right? Yeah. That's like like me telling them, oh wow, you're having that issue. Yeah, I'm gonna invoice you for 195 right now for another session. Like same deal. I would if I paid a training company and then four months later had a problem and they were like they wanted more money from me, especially if I've been putting in the work, right? Yeah. Go fuck yourself. No, I paid you already to train my dog, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not going to pay you more to help fix issues that I'm still having with my dog. And listen, like again, you got to look at it from both sides, obviously. Yeah, you got to look at it from both sides from the, the, the lens of like, yes, there are some people we need to charge money for post training, right, that are clearly not doing the work. Mm -hmm. But but in a lot of these circumstances, your follow up support should be provided from the lens of if you're putting in the work, this is the amount of time you have we're going to help you during. Right, yeah. if you run into problems, right? Because yeah. our follow up structure, we provide follow up sessions for the first year post board and train, right? And they're as needed based on the trainer's discretion is how we advertise it. That way, if I have people that are just wasting my time and having problems and want to do a fucking follow-up session every single week for the next year, at some point, I'm going to be able to look at it and be like, you're not doing anything. You're yeah. wasting my time and your time, and I can pull the plug on that because it's at my discretion, mm -hmm. right? But we structure it in that fashion so we can make sure we provide the long-term help for people because they're spending money, right? Yeah. I think we, we we fail to realize sometimes, like our board and train is $4,250, yeah. $4,250, right? To some people, that doesn't sound like a lot, but to a large chunk of the population, right? $4,250 is a shit ton of money. It's a big investment. It's a shit ton of money, mm -hmm. right? And we need to start looking at it from the lens of like being grateful that people are paying us that much money for us to train their dog and helping make sure that it's an experience and it's worth the fucking investment yeah. so they don't a year later after the born train go, oh, fuck that training company. Yeah. It didn't work. It didn't help. Exactly. Right? Yep. So uh, if you watch the new vlog, I kind of talked about it a little bit on there. Uh, I think it was it was pretty interesting. So... Yeah, totally agree. I think, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it multiple times, but yeah, it's like uh, with a board and train, I mean, then you have the send home mm -hmm. and that's the, what you guys usually do, like a two to three hour. Yeah. Two to three hours. Yeah. So you, you, you trained 
the owner for two to three hours. That's it. That ain't that much. That's not. That's nothing. Like they're gonna have questions. They're gonna have concerns. Whatever. And mm-hmm. and I think yeah. They, and even if you do just a follow up session after that, or let's say you do two follow up sessions yeah. after that, which I would say the norm is like a send home lesson and two follow ups that a mm-hmm. lot of people do. Yeah. So you're talking four to five hours. That's still not that much. That's nothing. Four yeah. to five hours over a course of a couple weeks. Yeah. While they're in the honeymoon stage of like like you you, you got to realize that like people. When their dog's behavior is so much better than it was before, mm-hmm. right? They let so much stuff slide because they don't realize how those little things they're letting slide will get them back to where they yeah. were before. Because right now, in this moment, things are still so much better than they were before. True. Right? So you got to let them get through all of that, get out of that honeymoon stage, and see how some of that stuff mm. is going to slip if they don't quite realize it yet, so that we can then go back in and help them refine those things from there. Yep. You know? 100%. So, again, look at your follow-up show. If you're a training company out there, like, really ask yourself the question of, like, are you providing what you need to provide for these people to make Mm. sure it's worth their investment? I think that's such an important thing to do. So. Very much so. Yeah. Love it. So that's what we got. Woo-hoo. Hope you guys liked it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Yep. See you.